Welcome in, everybody. It's all pro lines. I'm Kostaki Economopoulos. Uh, football comedy talk. That's what we do here in this space. We got a lot to talk to you guys about. Uh, I'm happy to be back. It's been a minute. So uh, thanks for coming in. Actually, we have a few people here watching, and uh, you can watch it on uh, Facebook Live uh, when we do the recordings. It's a little sporadic in the off season, but uh, we're still figuring out the schedule. We do about once a month in the off season. And, uh, of course, weekly during the season. Thanks for coming back and putting us in your ear holes and all that stuff. Uh, lots been going on. Uh, for me personally, we'll cover that briefly. We'll do some jokes and we'll bring in my buddy Todd McComas. He's a great stand-up comic. Uh, we used to travel around and do stuff together. It'll be nice to talk to Todd. He's now a, uh, a true crime pod- podcaster, among other uh, hats he wears, and he'll tell you all about that. Um, and we'll talk a uh, little Colts and a little Falcons and a little draft. Uh, I'm just back from the road. I had a great trip. Ann Arbor, Michigan. It was a bit of a throwback. It was a, it's a beautiful club called the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase. And uh, it's kind of between a few Bob and Tom markets and not really close enough to any of them for me to be uh, to be much of a draw. But it was it was kind of a throwback. It was it was like um, it reminded me a little bit of the Atlanta punchline back in the day. It's like great crowd, smart, good layout, good sound. And most of the people came because they know and love the club. And uh, it was really a pleasure. And I played poker a couple of nights with this uh, really cool community of characters, man. I got there uh, the first night. The shows were freaky early. They were at 715. So even on a Thursday, like at, you know, nine o'clock, I'm free. I'm like, oh, okay, go play some cards. Uh, there are these weird, in Michigan, there are these weird little poker rooms that are, they're essentially charity situations where there's a, they have a handful of rotating charities and a big percentage of the house take has to go to charity. Uh, so there's this cluster of different little rooms uh, where they play cards for for charity um, there's a profit margin as well, but a cut of it has to be for charity. Uh, and that this one room, they've been playing together, you know, any given night, there's like 23 people in this place, but there's about 200 of them who sort of over the course of about a decade are the regulars who, who play there together all the time. And, and it's funny when I got there, there was a guy who was kind of hosting the table and he was sort of busting my balls and introducing me as the new guy and, you know, she's kind of showing off the room. He says it's the best one-two game in the country. And I was a little like, ah, okay, whatever. But I have to say, uh, he is a guy who uh, raises money for independent uh, journalism. There were some really thoughtful uh, characters in this place and a singer and a drug dealer and a, uh, and a, a like a science award winner. And, and they all sort of like know each other and love each other. And, there's this sort of interesting amount of respect and inside. I really loved it. It was just so cool. So the comedy and the poker and the camaraderie and the scene, I've just, uh, I've been enjoying it all lately. It's, it's, uh, it, it's been, it's been really fun. Uh, let's see who we got in the Jerry Oliver. What's up, Heather. Good to see you guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming and doing this. We, we appreciate, I, I appreciate you. I don't know why I say we so much. It's basically me. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you. Um, so Andreas and I are going to the draft this, uh, this week. I'm excited. My bro, we went last year to Vegas and it was so much fun. The draft is weirdly interesting because 
it's just a bunch of people who love football. There's not a game, but everyone has their jersey on and they know what they're rooting for and they 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 know all the details about what's going on and they're into it and you know, when it's time for the Bears to draft, you find the guy that's wearing the Bears jersey and you t- chat with him about what he wants and then you watch the thing with him and then you're like happy or sad with him and it's just cool. It, it, there's a weird camaraderie there too. I, I, I was trying to explain this to somebody and somebody said, oh, it's like football Comic-Con. I think it is like that. I think it's just a bunch of people who have the same interest in a thing and uh, they, they're like celebrating their love of the thing. You know, it's fun. And routinely, the NFL draft gets better ratings than the NBA playoffs. It gets more viewers than a World Series game. It's uh, it's a, it's become a big thing. And the travel around of the different cities experiment is definitely working, man. It has created so much hype. And Kansas City, we're going to eat some barbecue and drink some beer and talk about life and root for the Falcons. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's the do The two-minute drill. <laughs> All right, I pledged on Bob and Tom to do a version of this joke every year. I'm a man of my word. We're going to do this one tomorrow morning. The NFL draft has been held annually since 1936, like Jimmy Carter's penis. Happy birthday, Jimmy. Uh, (laughs) A lot of great tight ends in this class. That's something that you could say when you're a college football draft analyst, but not when you're a college professor. You don't want to say, there's a lot of great, yeah, that's no. All right, this next joke is from 1972. A lot of buzz about Anthony Richardson, who blew up the combine. He broke the quarterback record for broad jump. Eight broads. All right. <laughs> he threw 24 touchdowns in his college career. That's a pretty small number. Uh, the least for a first-round quarterback since Michael Vick. That's true. That's a true stat. You guys know it's not the size of the dog in the fight. Hello. Oh, yeah. 24 touchdowns. That would get the Broncos through like a season and a half. That's a... Uh... That's plenty of touchdowns. We might see history this week. Probably the first time we ever have uh, black quarterbacks go number one and two overall. Uh, Jimmy the Greek and Rush Limbaugh are probably going to roll over in their graves. Uh, Colts are looking for a quarterback. This is the 25th anniversary of the Colts picking Peyton Manning first overall ahead of Ryan Leaf. Almost Ryan Leaf. That was a big debate at the time. I don't know if you guys remember. The whole city dodged a bullet that day. Here's a joke I can't do on Bob and Tom. The only other Indian institution to dodge a bullet like that was Ron Sexton. For those of you who get it, you get it. Okay, look it up if you need to <laughs> help your neighbors. At this point, the Colts should just suck for three more years until Arch Manning comes out of college, right? March down to the bottom of the division. You suck for luck, right? March for Arch. Where's Andrew Luck's kid? He's probably available soon, right? He'll be great for six years. They quit right before the season. Well, next year, Marvin Harrison Jr. is coming out of the draft. They could just rebuild the whole thing. Just make it a family. Bryce Young is a presumed number one overall pick. He's 5'10". My daughter is taller than that. Literally. 14 years old. (laughs) She can't dodge linebackers, but she can sidestep some responsibility. You know what I'm saying? She's a... The teacher did... Why don't you just do your fucking history assignments already? Okay. 
Um, (laughs) Speaking of short, Oklahoma just unveiled a statue of Kyler Murray. Well, it's not a statue exactly. It's a figure taken off of a vibrating football game. It's uh, it's not big. It's not it's not big at all. <laughs> all right, the brother of Aaron Hernandez was arrested for throwing a brick at ESPN headquarters. Still, by a wide margin, the good brother. <laughs> a lot of quarterback news. Just days before the draft, Aaron Rodgers still hasn't reached a deal with the Jets. At this point, he's kept more New Yorkers waiting than the subway. They. They say the talks have re-engaged. Yeah, because it always works out when Rodgers is engaged. Yeah, that definitely ends well for everybody. They're arguing over the price of a guy famous for giving you a discount. So you'd think we could sort it out by now. Cam Newton's talking about a comeback. He says there aren't 32 quarterbacks better than him, and he is right. There are 62 quarterbacks better than him right now. Jimmy Garoppolo said he doesn't want to be given anything. He wants to earn it. Yeah, says the guy bathing in a waterfall of easy pussy. He doesn't want to be given anything, this guy. Baker Mayfield said, I'm not going to try to be Tom Brady. I'm going to be me. Yes, and that's why the paychecks are going to be a lot smaller. Uh, Tom Brady just became minority owner of the Las Vegas Aces. All right, I've got several questions. One, minority owner. Why? I'm not an expert in modern society, but I'm pretty sure that Tom Brady could buy outright anything I've never heard of. You could buy it yourself. Why do you got to be part owner of the Las Vegas Aces, which I had to look up? It's a WNBA team, which is the answer to the question, how can you make basketball less watchable? Take away the dunking. All right. It's a joke, ladies. It's just, it's a... All right. <laughs> we'll close on this one. This is a this is a recycled version of a joke I've been doing for years. Falcons coach said he expected Desmond Ritter to take the next step. Great. We're still waiting for Johnny Manziel to take a next step. It's a decade later. He still hasn't completed 12 steps. Johnny Manziel. And with that, are there any other jokes we need to do? Nah, that's enough jokes. We we got the jokes. We got we got my boy Todd McComas here. Uh Todd, Todd and I, he was, Todd, let's just bring him in. You, you'd know him and love him from the Bob and Tom show. We'll, uh, we'll just chat it up here live on the air. Hey, buddy. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good to see you. Good, buddy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Look at this. We didn't even do any prep in our heads or the, the appropriate size and height. We got the right, we did it. And we're we, so symmetrical right now. Look at you, professional broadcast. <laughs> So Todd, I met you at the. Uh, I met you in Indianapolis, but was it at Morty's? Uh, yes, it was at yeah. Morty's and the old Morty's on Ninety Sixth Street. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was a baby, like a baby comedian, an old guy to be starting comedy at thirty eight. Right, yeah. But right. I think that's why you took me on the road. You were the first to take me on the road and pay pay me money or get me paid money. Oh and- wow! I didn't know that. I don't think it had a lot to do because I wasn't funny yet. And like, I didn't know how to do comedy <laughs> properly, but I was, I was a real adult. So I, I, I could imagine <laughs> someone in your shoes then like, it's hard to find a real adult to ride in the car with you for a long time <laughs> that you would enjoy. So I did enjoy you very much right away, but that's not why you were, you definitely stood out from the pile of the local comics. There was a certain, I mean, it might be age oriented, but there was a certain gravitas about you. Like you seem to, 
He did feel like a grown up to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny because I do I do think of you as like a kid brother, even though like we're roughly the same age. Like in comedy, you were so much younger than me, right? So much younger. Yeah. And, and I learned a lot. I mean, but you know, gosh dang it to I mean, I don't know if I even had a year on when you took me out and like the learning experience because you had an audience, Bob and Tom people, and to see you like Ma to see someone truly manage a show and people that uh, came to see them and and you know you're you're regarded as one of the pros pro like the way you conduct yourself like i was i was like okay this is how i do it. everybody else is just getting high and uh <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and drinking until 6 a.m and getting up a half hour before they got ahead of the club the next day <laughs> Like it was a real, real learning experience to, to be able to consume how to be an adult and do this job. <laughs> so. I'm, that's a bunch of nice words, man. I'm happy yeah. to hear that's your perspective on it. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's funny. I, I guess it's all relative, right? Like I feel like I, there's guys who are so much better at keeping their heads down and working hard at some of the details than I am. I'm like, I just, I don't know how to. But yeah, the, I mean, the, the sea of comics are out there fucking around. And last night, like, I came home late. I should have done a little more prep for the podcast. So it's all, like, it's all a sliding <laughs> scale of, of all the things. That's cool, man. Those were fun days. I forgot, too, that that was a real, with uh, Bowers, that was a real drink fest, that whole scene uh, there. I tell you, that, that three <laughs> years of being part owner in three comedy clubs that were all two hours from each other, and living, by the way, living in an apartment when we moved locations, by the way, we bought out the old Don Pablo's, and we moved right. like just a little south. I wanted to rebrand it as Don Pablo's Comedy Club. Nobody else would go for it, but I lived <laughs> in an apartment with a, another buddy comedian in the same parking lot as that comedy club. What? So, I didn't know that. Oh, uh, you talk about, I mean, th probably the most enjoyable <laughs> couple years of my life, but also could have killed me. I mean, we had unlimited access to our own bar. Your own bar, free uh, booze, and you're walkable to the house. Uh, it was, yeah, it was quite a run, quite a run. I remember, like, being there. And, you know, you get your party comedians that come through sometimes, like, you know, partying partying shirtless with Burt Kreischer until like 6 a.m. Oh, God. And Brian Regan and all these people. And then, you know, that was a good thing. Was Beyond that, though, we got to book our friends like you and the people we just really enjoyed that we considered family. Right. So, Gary Goldman. Oh, you got to just handpick your favorite act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, it, it was really was a good time. Unfortunately, we just really, really, uh, we were really, really bad at business. And <laughs> <laughs> that evidently that's a, a requirement for longevity. In the <laughs> but this, I mean, Give me, I mean, comedy is almost impossible to make a profit at being a comedy club owner. That's not you guys as much as it is the situation, right? It is. And plus, like, when your your ownership triad has, like, a combined $500 in savings, <laughs> you know, if, if you when you have a bad week or a bad month, there's no reserves to, to bring in. And evidently, <laughs> you just run out of the ability to obtain loans at some point. So... <laughs> Did you, what did you learn from being on that side of the desk in the business? I feel like most comics have no idea what, what it's like to run a club. They have no idea how hard it is and all the details involved. And 
I tell you, you know, it's harder than ever to own a club, but if if it weren't for that, I do think if I had another run, what I learned from the many mistakes we made would be valuable to, you know, possibly achieving success at it again. Because what I learned was you really got to unfortunately put your personal tastes on on the back shelf. Oh, you, that's interesting. You really got to integrate the people that you love that don't necessarily draw enough to, to uh, really knock it out of the park for you on a particular week. You really got to integrate the people you love properly within that schedule mixed with them and then finding these uh really focusing now these podcasters like people that have a podcast following that wasn't i mean that was kind of a thing when we were running it was coming it was emerging yeah yeah, but now like i see now like clubs now could really take advantage of and i'm not a believer of of you know headlining tiktok comics and th- <laughs> like on a weekend show but they do draw they bring in their own two or three hundred people and can sell out you know one nighter now you have that ability to book monday to thursday with shows like that that was always your weakness oh that's interesting because yeah. you were open seven days a week and in your you know whoever your landlord is doesn't discount your your lease price based oh, on the I fact like that that you're only open three or four days a week. So now you have an opportunity to let them string together a whole week of of one-nighters, and you can have them on a Tuesday and sell 300 tickets. Oh, that's a great idea. Have Josh Arnold for the weekend and then have the, yes. you know, the wackadoo act on Wednesday, Tuesday, whatever. Right, and you don't mix the two things so that, you know, because the danger of a TikTok comic can be they don't have a strong enough set to be a true headliner in this right. industry. And if you put them on a weekend show people that don't know them show up and they're like, oh, this is the first time I've ever been to a comedy club. This sucks. Yeah. And they never come back. Right, right. Oh, that's a great answer. Did you guys do any of that kind of stuff? Did you ever do like a Fat Tuesday or any of the – you never had a weird uh, like other night? We had – our. you know what? Our best performing product was a partnership we had uh, with this buddy of mine, Ike, and he booked a show called Straight Up Sunday – and it started as a one Sunday a month show, and it was all urban acts that were just fantastic and, you know, had their own following. They, they would go on a circuit and just really sell out this one-night thing. And we should have capitalized on that more. That was another thing. Like, that was uh, – it was – it was something that we considered almost when it was too late and tried to bring him in as a partner to expand that brand. And I think he looked at our books and was like, yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> I'm not getting sucked into that. But uh, And he still does well nationally. But that, other than that, it was, we tried several things. We tried uh, these local brands that were that were going I, we developed our own tuesday show based on our little podcast nobody was listening to like eight great comics that that were on this interactive show that was kind of a competition where everybody had a different challenge that you didn't know of until showtime like oh hey you can only do crowd work and and you wouldn't be a crowd work comic or you can only do five minutes of jokes you've never done on stage before, 
And by oh, the way, wow. we know your jokes, so don't cheat. And yeah, if you yeah. run out of jokes, you have to just make shit up. Like stuff to build like a gym to make you a better comic, like work oh. on your weaknesses. Yeah. I but love also that. it was it was really fun, but it, it had its like twenty loyal people um that came every Tuesday and and that was about it. But Four of those people were Pat McAfee, his brother, and his mom and dad, and that's how we got to know him. So, wow, that, it did it did work out well for a while. Yeah, yeah. well, I didn't plan to ask you about this, but you do. <laughs> it, it is one of the most interesting stories in modern comedy is the Pat McAfee explosion into the universe, and you were there with a front row seat to it. You know what was? Tell us about that. Uh, man, it was. We call that first summer of getting acquainted with pat the summer of pat it was this it was single pat and uh you know no girlfriend no wife or anything and handsome famous rich single yeah. pat that oh, must be yeah. a nice life just starting <laughs> stand-up comedy like he, he you know he was so like at that time so into comedy right. and he was naturally good at it you saw him back in those days and yeah. he wanted to to hang around comics he never got that experience before and he would come to the club even like sometimes in the off season he would show up in the middle of the day and he and i and sean latham would just go to the club and just hang out and drink beer and and talk shop and and uh it, it, he would he would on a whim here, here's a funny story we <laughs> sean latham buddy of mine and chris bowers we had booked this show in myrtle beach there's that little club right on the boardwalk there and it's a it's a weird club because it's just like tourists just stop in and they don't really know what's going on but we booked this show because it paid enough you had a free like three-day weekend in myrtle beach right so we pat wanted to hang out this one weekend and we were like oh we got this show and he's like well can i go and i was like yeah and he's like okay um let, let me work some things out and i'll get back to you he calls the next day and he goes all right i got us a private jet and and then all these other people are going to come. We're, we're great people, like the guy that owns Kilroy's, which is our big, you know, sports pub here in Indianapolis. The guy that owns cocaine, cocaine, Kincaid's Meat Market, and all these cool, interesting people. So, like eight of us go for this weekend on a private jet, where <laughs> each of us as comics are going to be splitting like nine hundred dollars. That's right, and. And we go to, we arrive in a private jet and we show up for the shows in a stretched SUV limousine. And we get out and the manager's like, who the fuck are these guys? You know? And, uh, and we just had a blast. We just rocked. And then the last night, um, Pat was like, Hey, can I do a, like a guest set or something? We're like, yeah, of course. But also why don't you just be the headliner and we'll open for you. And, uh, he was like, really? I don't want to do that to you guys. We're like, ah, it'll be a blast. He's like, okay, I'll put a tweet out. He puts a tweet out, like the morning of, I think. And there were, enough, and he wasn't like who Pat is now as a celebrity. Right, right. He was pretty much just one of the more, most famous guys in Indiana. But right. he, there were enough Colts fans in Myrtle Beach to come in and pack out this show on a whim 
based on one tweet that he put out like at 11 a.m. for the show wow. that night. And it was incredible. It was so much fun. He somehow found a, a person who juggles fire for after the show. They had this cool patio behind the bar, and there was this lady juggling fire. There was a um, like a street magician doing magic and shit. It was wild. It was so much fun. And oh. then, and that's where I think the the chemistry came for Sean and I to start opening for him on his tour. And at these big theater shows, and then eventually, you know, him asking me if I wanted to retire because he was going to retire and, and start podcasting and doing radio for Barstool Sports. And then right. eight months after that was in, he went off on his own, and I stayed with him. And, you know, I don't know if I helped build this team, but I was there for it. And, uh, you know, I was yeah. his first person that he brought into that fold business-wise, and we just had a blast. And then, unfortunately for me – it went totally sports. This product did, and it needed to, because obviously this is, you know, it's ended up where it is now. Right. And that was my my weakness. I couldn't hang with this team and, and him. You know, he has this team of just genius, you know, researchers of sports and talking about sports. All these all these young guys were just phenomenal. They could have worked anywhere, any sport, ESPN anywhere, and uh, in any capacity, and. And now he's surrounded by it, but it was leaving me behind. You know, it went less comedy, more sports, even though it's, you know, a funny presentation of sports talk. Right. But right. I uh, I was eventually, I was like, man, I'm getting old. I'm, I'm the dumbest guy in the room. You know, I, I'm just going to go try to do my own thing. And and he was he was very uh, generous about that. So oh, That's cool. Yeah, what a story! He's such an interesting. I mean, he's one of those guys. It just seems like everything he touches turns to gold. It's just astounding. All of his efforts are just like explosively successful. It's I call amazing. it instinctive genius. Like there's this instinctive genius that people like him have, and it's just an innate way of knowing what's going to work and what doesn't. Like he and he always makes this joke. I don't know if he ever put his finger on it like that, but he would always joke around that if I like this, most people are going to like this. I have a very unsophisticated palate, he used to say. And so he thought, if I'm into a, a, a movie, 90% of America is going to like this movie, for instance. And uh, I, I, there's something to it, man. He, he just knows what's going to take off and what's not. Like right. I can't remember him ever having a miss to be honest it's amazing it's really i mean especially in comedy because you you know and you know we, i know we know you wander around and it's like you you keep trying things and nothing works you know yeah this, you know creatively and business-wise both of them are like you're in the dark like feeling around it's kind of the nature of what the craft is uh and he was just a rocket ship i mean yeah. even some some very simple uh, like insights or bits of advice from him might stay with me. The one I remember him kind of busting balls with Latham is like, why are you driving six hours to make $200 telling <laughs> jokes? We trying to build an audience that way. He's fuck that. Stay home, build an audience on the internet and then go. It was like, it's just such a simple concept. It, it was. And it was a little ahead of its time really right. then, you know, right. Now I think a lot of people realize that because we have TikTok comedians that right. you know are selling out shows. But uh, yeah, you know, I just don't know what you know. I can't imagine we're used to ten percent of things 
working out yeah. successfully where he's like, no, nah, it's 90%, right? Like you, <laughs> yeah. you very rarely miss. No, you miss a lot. <laughs> All right. It's, well, let's talk some football. We got the draft this weekend. You're yeah. a lifelong, you're like, where'd you, you grew up there, right? You're an Indiana boy. I am, you know, and I'm old enough that I remember when we uh, made the acquisition from Baltimore and, oh, wow. uh, you know, back in the Harbaugh days, Captain Cardiac, you know, we called him because we were horrible, but we had this guy who was just all guts and right. uh, he, you know, he got us in the playoffs a couple of times, almost took us to uh, a, a championship at one point, you know? Right. And, um, it, yeah, that, yeah, it was fun back then. Now, now, you know, I, I would love to have those days back where you were just constantly the underdog and you appreciated wins you shouldn't get versus this, the most winning decade of NFL in NFL history that happened so long ago that we still hang our hat on yeah. as a, yeah, we're a good franchise Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, we haven't been able to obtain it since. And it's so depressing because <laughs> now you have high expectations. Yeah. Like we always think of ourselves, even though I think the rest of the, the country doesn't think of us this way as a winning franchise, as a top team. And yeah. we're third in the AFC South. No, we're not. We haven't been that in a long time, but it's still stuck in our heads. It's the craziest thing. It does. And, yeah. It makes sense though that you, would feel, I mean, you're right. Like, Michigan's felt that way for the last 10 years and they've been terrible just until recently, you know, mm -hmm. but the history and the branding and the memories and the, you get imprinted with the team. You know, I think the Cowboys fans are, have been that way for 25 years now, you know? Yeah, you're right. Uh, but you still, you're the cow. You know, I mean, we're talking about Troy Aikman here, you know, like the, we're talking about Roger Staubach. We're, you know, right. That's what's in your bones about the team. Right. Yeah. It makes sense that you have that. Uh, yeah, it, and one of the joke setups I did 20 minutes ago, it's the 25 year anniversary of drafting Peyton Manning this year. It's crazy. It is crazy. And you know, you know, it was tragic for us that the decision to not give luck a year under Peyton's tutelage, you know, just one more year here and, and, and let luck learn for a year from him. And to let him go to Denver and then see him win a goddamn Super Bowl. Like, right. that was so sad. And, and we hated it. And I really think that might have, I don't know if that would have changed Luck's course or not, you know? Mm. And I, I, Luck obviously was, I mean, he was a, a specimen. I mean, he had loads of potential and, and, you know, he, he, he did well, but, what he could have been. He just seemed like he was just missing something upstairs, you know, like he just didn't have that thing. And maybe it was just simply, I'm a genius. And, uh, I, once I got hurt really bad one time, I'm like, Oh, this career choice makes no sense anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. I don't want to end up strung out on painkillers and whatever, you know, into the, the peak years of my life yeah. intellectually. And, uh, and you know, and, and he left. But you know, to see, do you ever see that clip when you know he gets pulled uh, from the game, and Pagano is on the sidelines, and, and Luck keeps chirping in his ear, like, 
like we we were down like I don't know forty points or something at that point. But but you know, Luck was having a, a bad run there that third quarter or whatever, and they and he got pulled just like ah, still let you get hurt. And he just kept saying, "Let me get out there. Just let me get back out there. I got, I got, you know, I got to make up for what I did. I got to make up for what I did. I, got, yeah, I can't yeah. leave. I can't leave the game that way." And then Pagano, just in typical Pagano fashion, just turns to him, cool as a cucumber, and he says, uh, "Now, Andrew, <laughs> what do you think would happen to my job if we're down thirty some points and I bring you back in in the fourth quarter?" to blow your knee out <laughs> like right. he's yeah. like and he just looks at him and looks like okay that makes sense and he just <laughs> walks off like, like like he used to have that fire and you know getting hurt i think just took it out of him it's interesting i feel like i mean from again you were a lot closer to it it felt to, like from a distance like i mean he was one of the top prospects ever out of college i mean he had the size and the shape and could make every throw he was all the things he was a smart kid and like you know grounded and but if it looked to me from a distance like the one thing he lacked was that sort of traditional quarterback leadership charisma he he was he, he seemed like he was a weirdo he had a little yes of cutler-esque sort of like distance from the social situation where he was <laughs> Just like good at what he did, but he wasn't really like dialed in to be a leader type, right? You know? Where where Peyton Manning could could uh, you know? I mean, he was a true general, right? He like could be a CEO of any company, right? Everybody loved him. It didn't matter right. what your background was, ethnicity, right. <laughs> religious right. beliefs, whatever. You could relate to that dude and and get behind anything that he was he was uh, spewing. But where if your other guys like he goes to play Dungeons and Dragons, you know, you're like, all right, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not I'm not pumped up right now with you. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if we're gonna come back or not. So I, you know, he was missing that for sure. He was an odd duck, you know. Uh, who knows? Maybe a little on the spectrum, you know, just just off a little bit. Yeah, right. And, yeah, and, and yeah. Probably, that probably comes with the genius level IQ, you know, a lot of times. And and that that was just his thing. He wasn't a relatable dude to to, to hang out with and and have some beers and and rally behind. Just the beard beard choice was like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. It sort no. of speaks to the world of like, <laughs> I don't care about social norms. Yeah. This is what I like. <laughs> You look like you look like a, a captain for the North during the Civil War. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, that kind of beard. <laughs> yeah, Amish. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Hundred and Fifty. Then. Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
All right. Mm. Well, uh, let's do. Uh, let's see. Let's do. Uh, oh, we've been talking. Let's do. Let's do this segment. You'll you'll catch on. Now okay. it's time for which comes first. Oh yes, it's time for which comes first. Now tell me, will this happen before that happens? It's time for which comes first. I love that jingle, by the way. That's our best hit. That's uh, my friend Glenn. That's his best work. Nice. Uh, and Aaron. Aaron probably was directing the whole thing. Anyway, um, so which comes first? Colts playoff win or Falcons playoff win? Mm. We got two shitty teams we're looking at right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say the Falcons. Now, not, not having a deep understanding of your front office like i think i do with the colts but Mm. so i'll just base it on what i believe is what their mindset is at the colts organization and that is and has always been unfortunately you know i got to sit and hear these people talk you know when i worked for the pat mcafee show and very nice people very lovely people that you know it when frank reich was there and and of course the gm chris ballard very very nice people very much uh prioritizing the way they do things by creating a perfect culture in their opinion from the inside the locker room out and that culture is um very bible thumping like they, they, you know, if you notice our, our choices, oh, especially under Frank Reich, he was very, very much a, you know, a, a strict Christian belief type person. And, um, that he was bringing in, you know, uh, people that were conducive Carson Wentz, for instance, you know, he's very much of that mold and, uh, uh, which was a horrible freaking choice, by the way, <laughs> uh, the most underrated quarterback of his generation. But um, so that's great for life, right? And making sure, because there's one thing we never have to worry about. None of our key players are going to uh, be on the internet for fighting people in the airport. You know, <laughs> They're not going to get a documentary made about no, them no, for some great. murder spree they yeah. undertook in the off season. It's definitely a factor. Yeah, yeah that stuff is, is great and it's always solid, but sometimes, you know, yeah, you, you got to worry about championships at some point. Yeah, and you want to ring off somewhere in there. Yeah. I don't think that has anything <laughs> to do with winning championships. And <laughs> therefore, you know, I don't, I don't, I'll be honest with you. It wouldn't surprise me sitting in, in with the number four pick right now and possibly the ability to trade with the Cardinals for number three that we don't draft a quarterback. I can, yeah. I can very easily see Chris Ballard who loves to draft pass rushers. You know, I think it's like nine in his last eight drafts or something like, you know, then there's some great pass rushers that should go in the first round. And I think two that they think might go in the top 10. Um, I, I see him doing that or trading away our spot late for some uh, solid veterans to fill some, some weakness, you know, position wise within the squad and not, and then maybe holding on trying to get like a hooker or someone like that in the right. second round or late, late in the first, you know, cause it's not going to cost you 
much. And if they develop, great. If they if they don't, whatever, trade them away. Um, so I I I think you guys have a better chance of going for and. and what you need to make that happen versus us, if that makes sense. That's interesting. Because I feel like this is the second year that my team is sitting there with a situation where it's almost impossible to have a, a, you know, a really good season. They're just not spending. I mean, just they're not. What is the plan? Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke. That's the current. (laughs) Those two, as we sit here today, I might be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, As we sit here today, Neither one of those guys cracks the top 30 quarterbacks on the planet. Right. Right? Like, what exactly is your plan? How are you going to win with this setup? Well, I would argue, you know, we might end up with, and and don't get me wrong, I love me some Gardner Minshew. Like, I think he's a blast, (laughs) you know, and great guy to have as your number two, I think, you know, or at least, you know, good. And But, you know, depending on what moves we make, he could be – you know, mentor to hooker or a BYU quarterback or somebody like that. Right. And when you couple that with the Colts, just never, they got lucky right before with, with in the wide receiver position, but also a lot of those people were really performing under Peyton Manning. Like again, that's age old stuff. So Marvin, you know, Harrison and these guys that did work out that weren't, you know, going to cost you a lot to get. That doesn't hardly ever happen. And we're sitting here with, you know, Michael Pittman. Like, great, he's great, but he's not a true – I don't think he's, a you know, an elevating number one. He would be awesome as a number two. But for right. some reason, we will never go for – and we've passed up, you know, guys that already proven themselves in the league, all because Ballard just doesn't like to give up anything. Like, he just – he's – you know, he just doesn't like to take chances that way. And a lot of people praise him for being conservative and, and smart that way. And they think it pays off in the long run, but <laughs> he's been here for a while and I haven't seen it. Yeah, that's right. I see. It's funny. Cause I generally agree with that concept of, you don't want to trade away a lot of capital to take a shot of the thing, you know, mm-hmm. as a generalization, but I'm pissed that my team's not doing it right now. Like you, you take a swing at something. Don't you, you when know? you reach a point like where our two teams are, where at a certain point you got to. I mean, you, you got to. Right. And, uh, you know, we have a mediocre receiving core, and we might be, you know, have, we might have Gardner Minshew uh, under center. Like, that's that's not a good combination. You got to have one or the other. You either got to have, you know, put, put him in a situation that Jalen Hurts had, fine. You know, where you can yeah, be yeah. a good quarterback, but the team is awesome around you and you have plenty of talented people to throw to. I, you know, you can't have both. And I, you know, and I think that's where we both are right now. So I don't know. Whoever, whoever decides to gamble first is going to win that argument. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do this segment here. That's a friend of the show, Akib Talib. Nice. Uh, I'm going to give my kudos to the Carolina Panthers because they are doing the thing this year that I wish my team was doing. They 
They trade a lot of capital and they're going to get the quarterback, right? Like that's what they, that that's what they did. They traded up with the bears. They're taking a swing. That's what I want from my team. Like it might fail, but at least I know you're at the, the bat swinging it hard, you know, enough of this, like pray for a single. I'm tired of singles. Fucking Amen. hit it out of the park once in a while. Amen. So I, it may or may not work. It may or may not. It may be too expensive in the long run, but they're taking a swing at changing the the arc of the franchise and the face of the team. And you know the you know just the fucking program is going to look different this year. And that's a, something that it's good to do when your team has kind of been floundering around in mediocre to disappointing land for several years. Like, yeah. take a swing. I mean, you got to, or, or, or chances are nothing will change. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And how far can they fall to be honest? I mean, yeah, right. If, I if it blow, I mean, whatever you go, you pick a Heisman trophy winning quarterback. If it doesn't work out, it's not like you weren't making a decision. That's <laughs> a reasonable one, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I All right. Yeah, I got to give kudos to, and I get like this isn't necessarily topical right now, but it was this year, Jeff Saturday. Oh. For, not for for what you would think. I'm going to give him kudos for being brave enough to make a decision that forever, forever, for the rest of his career as an analyst, losing all credibility to be able to chastise decisions by other head coaches in the league. Like, you know, he he stepped in there and boy, it didn't work out. So can you imagine? I mean, it's like Amber Heard trying to be an analyst (laughs) on being a good girlfriend. Like you can't, no one's going (laughs) to believe anything she says. That's a really funny construct. Yeah, you're right. This is a a risky play that didn't work out for Jeff, right? Yeah. I mean, he was comfortable, right? He had it good. You know, he was an an admired figure in the sport and a great analyst. And he was, you know, on all the big stuff. And now he has that one thing where everybody like, shut the fuck up, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) You won one game, you know. (laughs) Uh, the biggest comeback in NFL history. Oh, yeah. that's, that's a tough one. Did you, did you, I met Jeff very briefly a couple times. Did you run around with him at some point in the Pat McAfee era? Um, I stood next to him a couple of times. This is my, I, I have quite a story on my connection that with Jeff Saturday. Um, when I was still a detective for the Indiana state police here, I was also doing comedy, so I was in that world, and uh, I was at the time working undercover, you know, in, in our undercover unit. And I get a call one day from one of my best friends from high school, who is now the, the chief of a certain police department, a mid-sized police department in Indiana, <laughs> and he says, "Hey, I need some help." And I'm like, "With what?" And he says, uh, "Well, I guess you know, this is back in the day when Jeff Saturday." was the would come on during the season every tuesday on the bob and tom show and you know pat mcafee ended up stepping into that place after he left but uh i guess he says well jeff saturday was on bob and tom you know tuesday and and he he somehow let slip that our town has 
three massage parlors that are given happy endings. <laughs> and he didn't say it like he goes there, but, you know, it was the buzz in the locker room, evidently. You can go to any one of these three joints in this in this town, and uh, there's happy endings to be had. So he's like, so now people are calling the mayor's office like crazy, like, you got to shut this down. You know, they got torches burning there. Oh, they're, wow. They're through the streets. So he's oh, like. he mentioned which ones they are? He, I think, if I recall, he mentioned at least one of them by name. <laughs> like, like I couldn't believe he would do this. But uh, these people knew, and they wanted them gone. So right. he's like, uh, I need to get some undercover guys to go in there and, you know, prove that this is going on. And, you know, uh, so we can build the case. And I was like, well, I probably know at least one of the guys in our group that would be willing to do that. <laughs> and so, so, and I grabbed my two other buddies and I'm like, hey, here's an interesting assignment. You know, usually we're just out buying meth and stuff. It's like, hey, I, you know, we can go into these massage parlors and see if they're giving happy endings. And uh, we did. We each had to get, uh, you know, um, <laughs> One from each place, so it would total three from each place, and the prosecutor would have a case built. And uh, yeah, we uh, <laughs> probably my my one of my more enjoyable assignments. That's hilarious. That sounds like uh, the way that we envision police work, but it's not really how it works. Right. It had never worked that way in my career. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm forever like grateful to Jeff Saturday. <laughs> Uh, he, he did a, a lot for me in that period of my career, so uh, yeah, that's that's my that's my connection to that's really Jeff funny, Saturday. Man. Yeah. So did what, so what happened? Were they shut down? They were shut down temporarily, and then back up within two months, I think. So my buddy was like, "Well, I'm just going to wash my hands." I, they go to a different place. They have new branding. And bring they, in new people. They put it all on the employees. Of course, they could never tie it to ownership because who's the owner? Yeah, right, right. You know, it's all overseas under the table stuff. So yeah, they were back up and running, evidently. And uh, but that's the that's the real nature of police work, right? It's like a whack a mole game. Where yeah. You, yeah, right. For sure, for sure. You shut down this meth lab and then over yep. there. There's another... three more. Yeah. Wow, it's so interesting. <laughs> All because of Jeff Saturday. <laughs> it's so crazy to me. Uh, I got uh, I have a Je I have a signed Jeff Saturday jersey. When I was at the um years ago, Bob and Tom used to go to the Bahamas for the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. I ha I happened to go the year that the Colts beat the Bears. And it was super fun because it's a room full of 200 people, about 190 of them are Colts fans, you know? Mm -hmm, right. So I don't know if you remember, but the first play of the game was Devin Hester running back the opening kick. Oh, the yes, yes, You can hear yes. a fucking pin drop in this oh, place. Like Becky wow. Cavoyan is wearing her blue <laughs> Colts boots, and everyone was like, what the fuck? Everyone was, you know, and then to watch them, like, come back. It was such a fun day. It was so I, I was I was hanging with Todd Snyder. I watched the Super Bowl with Todd Snyder, one oh, of my musical heroes. Yeah. Rock on. I love me some Todd Snyder. Me too. Drinking beer with Todd and watching football. It was so fun. Um, but it was a, one of the sponsors was a sandwich uh company in India. I forget what's this what's the local chain that's like they've got like 15 of them, but it's kind of localish. 
Uh, anyway, the guy who owned that, yeah. the guy who owned that, goes, "If the Colts win this game, I'm going to get. I know Jeff Saturday. I'm going to get you a signed Saturday." I go, "This is not a bet. This is just going to happen. If it happens, I go, yeah, count me in." And he totally followed through. I like it. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's it's too Kostaki signed Jeff Saturday. Oh man, I, I, all your people watching, they they're they're Bob and Tom people, right? Or a yeah, lot of it's them? a big most of so, them. Yeah, so. Bob Cavoyan, you know, a hero of mine, obviously, yeah. he and Tom both. But um, Bob particularly because he was the he was the challenge, you know, to get on the show as a regular. You had to get Bob's thumb up, and he wasn't so easy to please or <laughs> as easy to please as, as Tom. And uh, so, you know, you would sit there and you'd wait to, 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 until he would laugh once, and then you'd be like, okay, here we go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think it was my second time on finally – Bob gave me the pass and, and I was like, okay, cool. And then I got to hang with him intimately, um, the week of Indy 500 one year, cause Pat had rented, Pat McAfee had rented this, um, cool ass RV thing. And we, we, he and I stayed in it in, in the parking lot where that's Bob Cavoyan's camp is with him oh, and his friends. And, uh, so we were playing Euchre with him and, you know, got, really got to know Bob and then, and I'm like, oh, it's so cool, you know, getting to know my one of my heroes. And at one point, Bob had Yingling in his cooler. And here in Indiana, you couldn't get Yingling as a beer. You had to go to Ohio was our closest place to get it. And it was my favorite beer at the time. And I'm like, oh, it's your favorite beer too? And he's like, yeah. And so we bonded over this Yingling experience. And at one point, he, he just walks by me and he goes, hey, Todd, can I put uh, – hey, no, he goes, Todd – I, I I put some Yingling in your cooler, and I was oh. like, "Oh, that's so nice!" Like he just gave me, you know, Yingling to to drink, and uh, cool. So I wouldn't <laughs> let anybody else drink this Yingling. I is only mine. This is my Bob Cavoyan Yingling, you know. And I <laughs> I drank like a whole case of this shit over the course of a couple of days, and then the third day comes around, and Bob comes up and he goes, uh, "Hey, Todd, can I um, can I?" get to your cooler i need to get my yingling out of there i've got room now for it and i was like what uh what i thought he was gifting it to me he just needed to keep it cold because he didn't have enough cooler space and it's not like you could go down to the liquor store and get more he he put this back for this Uh, week uh, and now he's out of yingling because i selfishly drank every damn one of them (laughs) <laughs> he was not happy with me. Not oh, happy at all. That's hilarious. Oh yeah. <laughs> like if but he, he has he, to understand, he thought. He, I mean, you. You know. I tried to explain it, but he was not a happy like, man. It sounds like a gift. That's yeah, hilarious. not a happy man. Oldest it, brewery in America, Yingling. Yeah, yeah. It's truly my favorite beer. Like it's my go-to. Thank goodness that's we can get it here now. One of the last local now. things. You have to kind of be in near Pennsylvania to get your Yingling in the world. Hmm. Yeah. All right, man. Let's do a couple. Uh, let's do a couple quiz questions. I, I didn't prep you for this. You, you're, you'll be fine. Oh boy. <laughs> all right, all right, kids. Put your thinking caps on. It's quiz time. This is not me lording information over you. This is not stuff <laughs> I would have known. This okay. is stuff I happened to see this week, and it's, it's a it's it's a jumping off point to have a little chat about some things. Okay, this is really going to show people how much my uh, studying of no, no, I NFL. Didn't, I, I, I think I would have known none of these, so don't okay. worry. Okay. Uh, uh, this is just I think these are interesting facts. 
All right. The team with the longest streak without a first-round quarterback in the draft. Mm, the longest streak without an NFL first-round. Um, let me go against what I would think. Uh, let me say uh, the Vikings. Okay. Let's see if we have any guesses from the peanut gallery. We got a couple of characters who like to chime in here. Ron Milford said New England. What's up, Ron? Good to see you, buddy. And Marge is in here. Cool. What's up, Mo? Um, New England's a good choice. That's probably right. New England does seem like a good answer. The answer I've got here is the New Orleans Saints. Wow. Really? Not since 1971 when they drafted Archie Manning. Wow. How about that? Wow. And 71 is 50 years ago. Wow. I would I would have never That's crazy. Never thought that was There the are some that are have been, you know, 20, 30 years, but that they're far and away by themselves out. Longest streak without a first round quarterback. That is crazy. What a warrior Archie Manning was too, by the way. I bet I bet that I bet Cooper's boy comes up and I bet you he's a throwback to that guy. We'll see. We'll see. Um all right. Current longest streak without a first round pick. And this one is going to be a an all time record if they continue this year with seven. Mm. their seventh year without a first round pick assuming they don't trade up into the first round this year right they will set a record let's boy i think i want to go like old franchise but um let's let's say um the tennessee titans ron milford chimes in with new england again uh it's the f them picks team the Los Angeles Rams. Really? This is they keep trading away their picks. Yeah. These players, these big name players. They brought they did they did it. They did what I want my team to do. They put the gas on. They're like, we're gonna pay for this later, but right, right. now we're gonna try to fucking win a Super Bowl. Yeah. And they they did it, man. They they put together a hell of a team with some scary defensive players and some offensive superstars, and they paid through the nose and they did it, man. They brought in Jalen Ramsey and yeah. Paid all their guys and now uh, they're paying the price. That team's fucking terrible all of a sudden. And I know, but it's, it's going to happen to the Bucks too. I, but I wish my team would do this. Like, take this arc, build an arc and just go up and take a swing and you'll be coming down, but let's do it. Enough but, of this mediocrity. And theoretically, you could just keep running that cycle, right? You'd have your great four year yeah. run and then yeah. your terrible four year run. Yeah. And just, but at least, at least right. you don't go through these decades of sadness right <laughs> so we, we i think i think there's there's hesitation in the organizations to do this because it's unpleasing to the season ticket holders on mm -hmm. the down run right but i think we're sophisticated fans at this point we would much rather have that cycle than we're gonna be seven and nine again forever I mean, I would. I would take that right now in a heartbeat, you know? Uh, yeah, right. Decades yeah. of sadness, Ron says. Vikings, that's his team. <laughs> All right, let's see. We close out on one or more of these. Those are the two that I thought were most interesting. Um, this is kind of fun. Uh, Bryce Young has a chance of breaking a long streak because the last Heisman winning quarterback to win a Super Bowl was... Mm, wow I, I know right i, I would have, have never no got this. idea I, in my head i was like but i'm trying to, uh, uh yeah you won't here's a hint you won't believe how long it's been it's ridiculous. oh really it seems like it would happen fairly often 
Well, let me say Unitas then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the right kind of guess. <laughs> okay. Roger Staubach. Oh, wow. Yeah, really? Right. I know, right? Okay. Well, man. Because in my head, I'm like, that's part of the machine. You got to get these big shot quarterbacks and then build around them and, and kind of get all the pieces together. Mm-hmm. But it's been a minute since we've had one of the that storyline. You know? Yeah, it's so crazy that, that one doesn't equate to the other. Like right. you, you would think that would be the natural progression of things. Right. But I guess, is it because, you know, typically whoever has the, the top four picks is, is recovering from a decade of sadness and you're entering a horrible situation? Sorry for the first few years. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, I, and probably it speaks a little bit to how hard it is to nail down these, you know, these picks. You know? Yeah. Um, this is another stat that I happen to see because we think, you know, you sometimes hear – that even first round quarterbacks are coin flip, whether the, whether they hit. And the stat mm-hmm. that I saw, you can you can quibble with the idea of how they measure this, but they say it's thirty seven percent that you hit on a first round quarterback because that's the percentage that signs a second contract with their same team. Wow, so that's how they measure long term quarterback success. I which guess is, this is you can quibble over that, but it does tell you that it's less than half. Yeah, I mean, that's as good at measuring stick as any, I assume, because if you were really uh, right. thriving, they're not going to let you go, probably. Right. So, right. wow, that, that's an incredibly low percentage. I know, <laughs> you right? Know? Isn't it? And I think that these people like Ballard and these guys are out of that school of thought that, you know, you don't necessarily um, create championships from, from the draft, you know. I, there's probably something to it then statistically, you know, with, with stats like that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, we got to run, but I want to give you a sec to tell us about you and what you're doing podcast-wise, man. I, I just had a short chat with you about this, but I don't want to fuck it up. You uh, you tell the people what you're doing, man. Yeah, I tell you what, things are evolving like in the present right now for me. I, one thing I, I can't talk about yet, but it's um, everything I have is constantly updated on toddmcomas.com, my website. And I, I, I have um, a meeting tomorrow. You know, I, I'm really, the past couple years, my buddy and I, Stuart Huff, have been neck deep in this uh, documentary uh, series that we, we put together and pitched, and it got picked up. And it's, there's a meeting with Netflix uh, and, and the production company we're partnered with, and that's end of this week. So we have a meeting tomorrow to finalize our pitch materials and get our they got to get uh Stuart and i prepped because evidently we have to talk to netflix executives now so if <laughs> if that happens as as things can be released on that it will be on my website and i have some interesting podcast things that uh are coming up but um my baby podcast it's always been my baby is uh my true crime podcast 1041 and uh that has been on hiatus because some other ventures um paid me to put it on hiatus and it, that is up now, and I am rebranding it, and I'm rebranding it and bringing on a partner, and we're going to to blow it up, make it bigger and better, a little more traditional true crime than it has been, and uh, really diving into cases and using our skill sets. You know, she has a lot of experience in crime. I do, too, and uh, it, she, it should be great. should be great. I love it, man. It, it's great to talk to you. Go check him out, toddmccombus.com. They'll get you the links to everything that's going on with Todd. 
a thoughtful dude, a funny dude, and a former cop. What a perfect combination of things to be a true crime podcaster and a documentarian. You're a documentarian. I know. I can't believe it. Like I'm saying that right? Yes. And I I guess that's an old school term, but I'm using it. Like I, I want to put that on all my stuff. I feel bad about putting it up there yet because people are like, prove it. You know, once they can see it, that's all you're going to see from me. Todd McComas, documentarian.com. That'll be my new website. I like it. Uh, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing, I'm doing a couple of shows coming up. I'll be in, uh, uh, Modesto here in a couple of weeks and now I'm heading to Louisville and I may or may not be doing some recording for a thing down there. Uh, so check me out. I'm at Kostaki.com. I'm easy to find as well. Thanks for listening everybody. We love you. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks Todd. Thank you.